been a while. We had full church prayer, uh, COVID vacation, um, but now we're back, and I'm so excited still to continue in this series because it's incredible, incredible content um, that we're looking at. How many of you like to golf? Raise your hand if you like to. I'm not asking if you're good at golf. I'm just asking, do you like to go out on the golf course and swing the golf club? How many of you like to do that? All right. There's only a few of you that like to do that. Now, I really enjoy golf. I am not very good at golf, but I like to play golf. Um, If you watch professional golf, their rules are a little more strict than my rules. Just want you to know that. So if you golf with me, for instance, if we don't hit the driving range before we tee off, we go to hole number one, we're in the tee box, I might look at you and say, hey, we didn't hit the driving range. Two balls, do you want to hit two balls off the first tee? So off tee number one, we each get to hit two golf balls and take whichever one's best because we didn't hit the driving range like the pros do. Another thing is triple bogey's your friend. So they say that if you're, if you're, if you're shooting par golf, you are an excellent golfer. <clears throat> now, somebody like a professional PGA Tour player can come down here to Shoal Creek and they'd be 30 under par, okay? But if I was 30 over par, I'd be like, oh, I'm doing all right, you know? And so par, they might say, well, that's a par five, a par four, a par three. And when you get done, you might shoot 72 or something for 18 holes, and, uh, or if you're like me, you're just trying to standard triple digits, and you'll call it that a good day. And, uh, but triple's your friend, meaning, all right, hey, it was a par five, and I hit eight, and so I'm just going to pick my ball up, and I'm going to the next hole, because nobody wants to shoot 15 on a, on, a, on a hole. So see, I'm a grace preacher. And lastly, you get one mulligan per nine, meaning if I golf 18 holes, on the first nine... I get to choose, basically, I hit a shot, I'm taking my mulligan, and it's like a do-over, and you get one per nine, and you get to swing again, and and it's amazing, you know what happens a lot, is when you take your mulligan, that second man can really play golf, meaning, I shot, and and it it went somewhere, and and then I'm like, okay, I can fix it, and all of a sudden, the second one is a really nice shot, that happens a lot. Not all the time, but a lot. It's amazing what you can do when you see what you did wrong and you get a second chance to correct it. Wouldn't it be awesome if in life we could get an occasional mulligan? Is there anything in your life that you say, man, I'd like a do-over on that? Where you go, all right, you know what? That didn't work out well. Uh, I'm going to take my mulligan right here. You just get to tee it up again. Well, tonight we're looking at week three of the principle of the path. You see, do-overs, they just don't happen in life. They don't happen. I mean, what would you tell yourself at 17? What kind of advice would you give yourself that would impact where you are today if you could go back and tell your 17-year-old self, or if you're 17, if you'd go back and, you know. You know what? In two weeks, we're going to talk about how 17-year-olds need to find the 70-year-old and get that advice. Imagine the investment advice you could give yourself as a young man or young woman. Life would be so much easier the second time around. You know, I'm going to take my mulligan right here. That relationship didn't work out. I'm, I'm taking a mulligan. 
but it doesn't work that way. We only go on this journey once and then eternity. So we are left to make decisions without the benefit of experience. Every first is a step in a direction or another. One direction or another. There's a first text, a first date, a first kiss, a first semester away from home, first job, first credit card, first marriage, first kid, first investment, first house. Every first step leads you down a path. But how are we supposed to know which path to go down when, after all, it's our first and so here's one thing to always remember. Choose a specific path with your destination in mind. Today, I'm just choosing, oh, do I want to go here or there? Do I want to text her or not? Do I want to, you know, th th those are decisions, like just a basic decision. But where can this one decision lead when I look at the end result? I choose a specific path with a destination. It's not just first text, first date, first kiss, first credit card, first investment. This, these things lead somewhere. And so we sometimes get caught in the present of like just thinking about this moment, but each path leads to that destination. We have to remember that. And I'm, tonight I'm only looking at, we're going to dissect just one scripture tonight. The media team for the gym was probably like, woohoo. Sometimes he says hallelujah when he's frustrated, and other times he says hallelujah when he's happy. Tonight he was saying hallelujah because he was happy. <laughs> One verse. This verse introduces us to two kinds of people. Proverbs 27, 12, it says, A prudent man foreseeth the evil and hideth himself, but the simple pass on and are punished. Two people. We got the prudent man. And the simple man, now it uses men, but this is woman, man, the prudent person. Elsewhere in Proverbs, these are referred to as wise and naive. I think we know which one we want to be right. It's not a compliment if somebody says, you are so naive. And you're like, thank you. I had to learn some of the terminologies of Missouri. You know, Lori, when I came, she was like, bless your heart. And I was like, I thought she was saying something nice, but I was like, ah, I'm not sure. I'm like, I'm a, I think she might be making fun of me. No, I'm just kidding. Lori doesn't make fun of anybody. But in Proverbs, it says wise and naive, both are headed down the same path. Notice that verse. It says, prudent man foreseeth evil, hideth himself, the, 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 the simple, they pass on and are punished. It doesn't say they're headed down two paths. They're going down the same path. Okay? They both are headed down a path and they see evil or danger. So they're going down the path. Oh, wow, there's evil. There's danger. But they react differently. And of course, because of the different reactions, there are different outcomes. And so in the book of Proverbs, the term prudent is used interchangeably with wise. So a prudent person is a wise person. The implication here is that a prudent man or woman understands that life is all connected. He is aware of the cause and effect relationship between what I choose today directly influences what experience I have tomorrow. I try to tell my kids this sometimes when they get frustrated with school. They're like, 
this is so dumb. I don't want to do this. Do you ever remember saying, when am I ever going to use this in school? Okay, in half the stuff I said that about, I still don't use. But they'll say, well, I don't even know this is, and I say, guys, if you don't get this today, you are not going to be prepared for the next level of classes, and eventually it catches up to where you can't go any further. So I want them to see that. See, what, what we choose in one season of life is going to directly impact our future. And so a wise person might often ask this question, in light of my past experience and now looking forward to my future hopes and dreams, what is the wisest thing to do in this situation? But see, in humanity, it's, I want what I want right now, give it to me. But no, if I think to my destination, not just this decision, but my destination, what is the wisest thing to do? The prudent draws upon the wealth of data that life has already provided them, and then they take appropriate action when they see danger ahead. The simple or the foolish are interested in what looks good, feels right in the moment, without thinking about the path that they're on. That's fine, I know I'm trying to get there, but I'm, I'm taking a detour just for a minute. It reminds me about Jesus' parable about the wise and the foolish in the New Testament. Oh, that guy builds his house on a rock. That guy builds his house on the sand. They, but guess what? They both apparently went through the exact same storm. Same storm hit both of them. One's on a rock and stands, one's on the sand. And falls down. Because why? They knew. Storms coming. One prepared ahead. One did not. One was willing to take a risk. One was not. Prudent and wise. Foolish and naive. And so, do you want to be wise or foolish today? Because here is the primary difference between the two. It's not in what they see. It's not in what they see. Because they see the same things often. They often go on the same path, but it is how they respond to what they see. Our responses to what we see is, is everything. The prudent see danger and take refuge, Scripture says. The simple see danger and just keep going. Yeah, no, I'll, I'll be all right. I can handle this. I can't tell you how many times I've heard that in pastor. Be all right. No, I know. I'll handle it. But the wise says, I see danger. It's not worth trying to take that on head on. I'm going to seek refuge. What could you be doing today that is going to directly impact your future if you stay on this path? If it is against God or his word or if his spirit inside of you has been trying to speak to you, will you stop and take refuge or will you just keep going? The prudent see danger and change their course. The foolish do not. The prudent act as if then is now and the future is present. The simple respond and say, tomorrow will always be tomorrow. I'll do it later. The Proverbs closes, that proverb closes with a very specific prediction. Look at the end of verse 12. It says, the simple pass on and are punished. Or in one version it says, they will suffer for it. Suffer for what? Suffer, what are, we, what are we talking about? They suffer for refusing to act on what they see. 
on the warnings they were given. They suffer because they live as if there's no connection between our choices of today and our experiences of tomorrow. And this is every part of life. This is relationship. This is finance. This is health. This is spiritual. This is, this is so many things. This is the principle of the path in every walk of life. We suffer that they suffer because they refuse to act. They suffer as if there's no connection. They overlook the fact that every path has a destination. Like it or not, decisions have consequences. For some, there's a point of no return. There's a point in which it becomes impossible to sidestep the consequence. You see, and what when the inevitable becomes the unavoidable. It's not unusual for people to start pointing fingers at God. You see, the same God who inspired men to write words in a book that he preserved and had translated into our known languages, the same God who fills us with his spirit to lead and to guide us, the same God who gives us pastors and preachers to pray with us and warn us, the same God who connects us to a body of believers to love us and look after us. I really don't think that God is to blame when consequences catch up to us. It's the principle of a path. You've probably heard something like this where someone says, how could God let this happen to me? I'm a good person. I go to church. I give. I serve. Well, you think about it. You think about the algebra teacher. How would the algebra teacher respond to the student that got an F? And they come up uh, kneeling next to their desk, weeping, going, no, I'm so sorry. This is horrible. That teacher might extend a hand, help them up, say, I'm sorry to hear. I will help you. I will tutor with you. We're going to get through this. That might be a kind teacher, but it does not change the F. Forgiveness and consequences are two very different things. Please remember that. Forgiveness and consequences are two different things. David committed adultery and had a woman's husband killed to hide a dirty secret. But David wept before the Lord. True repentance spoke. He had to wait for Nathan to walk in and go, thou art the man. But he responded to the voice of a preacher and he found a place of repentance. But he still lost his child. And from that moment on, his family was in chaos from that moment on. Was he forgiven? Absolutely. But were there consequences? Yes. <laughs> consequences. We need to learn this. Even our kids, we need to instill in our kids. I notice parents sometimes today try to remove consequences from their children. If the child doesn't do homework and waits till last night, Parents are there doing the homework with them to help them get in it on time. I, I promise you, no teacher gave the assignment four hours before it was due. If the child started to fight, the parent blames another child. If the child didn't get a good grade, the teacher is obviously not doing a good job. And if we're not careful, we as parents remove, we try to shield our children from consequences. You see, consequences for our decisions are part of our entire life. So the earlier we learn that, 
the better it is. We can't shelter our children from consequences forever. And parents still try to do that. I've seen parents of grown adult children still trying to do that. And this is why godly, loving, let me clarify this, godly, loving, patient discipline is healthy in our homes. Because our kids must learn, if I said something and you chose to do the opposite, you must now face the consequences of the path that you chose. The sooner our children learn that, the better they are. Because we have adults that haven't learned that. God almost always works through principles. He's absolutely a God of grace, but he still has principles and consequences. I knew someone once with COPD and then lung cancer. It breaks your heart to see someone that you know and you love begin to struggle and even die. It's painful. But when this happens, oftentimes no one is totally shocked. You see, because... Even in this case, this man smoked since he was a teenager. And the fact, that fact doesn't make it any less sad for someone that you love when you see them struggling or dealing with self-inflicted health issues. You still love that person. And you're like, oh, and you will still pray for that person. Even God touched them, touched their body because you love them. Does everyone who smokes die of lung cancer? Absolutely not. Is God punishing you if he kills you for for? Smoking. No, no, that's not, that's not God. That's just the natural result of the path that we chose. People like this didn't think they were choosing a life of doctor visits, insurance battles, and leaving a wife without a husband or children without a father. But direction trumps intention every single time. Oftentimes, doctors will warn people about physical conditions or dangerous habits long before they're fatal. But many people will not listen. Even a box of cigarettes. If you look at a box of cigarettes, big letters, the federal government makes them put them on there. And it, you know, I don't know the technical terminology, emphysema, blah, blah, blah. Basically, it's saying, hey, if you, if you partake in what's in this box, you're going to die. It says right there. Every billboard with the strapping man with the cowboy hat that looks and the woman with bright white teeth that's like <laughs> bottom of the billboard's like, hey, you smoke these, you're gonna die. And we're just like, yeah, you know what? I see the danger. But I'm gonna play the uh, I might it maybe it won't be me. I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna try and see if I can get past it. And we do that in different areas of life. The principle of the path, like all principles, is universal. It's not a respecter of men or women. It doesn't matter whether you're rich, poor, young, old, famous, or unknown. No one is immune to the principle of the path. Ignore the signs, pay the price. My goodness, that sounds harsh. But it's true. When we ignore signs in whatever avenue that is health i said smoking relationship finance spiritual whatever it is we ignore the signs we pay the price when it dawns on you that you're addicted hear me i just feel like i got a word for somebody tonight, or maybe even online maybe in person maybe online but when it dawns on you that you're addicted 
And you finally say, man, I keep telling people I can stop anytime I want. Whatever that is. Spending money, pornography, alcohol, smoking, whatever that is. And it dawns on you that you're addicted. That's not the time to start thinking about accountability and discipline. It's too late for that. When your credit cards are full and you're afraid to take calls on your cell phone because you don't know who it's going to be and what they're going to say to you, that's not the time to consider, you know what, maybe I should develop a budget. It's too late. I mean, it's never too late, but I'm saying you want to start that earlier. When the pregnancy test reads positive, that's not, that's not the time to start evaluating your moral compass and wondering if he's the guy for you. When your spouse serves you papers, that's not the time to start working on your marriage. But in our humanity, sometimes we just walk the path and we're danger. And it's like you, th- you, like, you think about like these space movies or something like, meh, meh. Danger, danger, or like some ride at Disney World. And it's like, we're like, yeah, you know, it's, but it's not that dangerous. I've heard this before. You know, like, it's like the smoke alarm. Beep, 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 beep. You never think there's actually a fire. You're just like, ah, oh, piece of junk, pull the battery out of it. You know what I mean? Like, that's, that's the way we think. <laughs> I remember being in a hotel once. Kiara, she didn't sleep well at night. Oh, goodness. Thank God we're out of that stage. <laughs> we had just gotten her to sleep. We were at District Conference, Missouri District Conference, St. Louis. We had just gotten her to sleep. It took forever. It was like 2 in the morning. We went out to eat and everything. We didn't exactly. We weren't great parents. Like, kids, 8.30, bedtime. You know, like, so we, we helped contribute to her lack of sleep. <laughs> <laughs> but we raised a social girl now, so I guess that's working. Um, but we had just gotten her to sleep. It's like 2 in the morning. We're like, oh, finally. We literally just get to sleep hotel. Fire alarm's going off. I looked at Jackie and I was like, do you want to go or you want to try and just ignore it and go to sleep? (laughs) Like I literally was thinking, if if that would have been a little quieter, I probably would have been like, let's take our chances. (laughs) But it was so loud that we were like, we ain't going to sleep, might as well go. And we're like, well, let's transfer Kira to the car seat and we'll see if she doesn't wake up. That lasted Three to four seconds. And then she was up till about 4.30 that morning, I think. I'm going to be 100% transparent with you right now. I sometimes hate marriage counseling. I will do it. And I will prayerfully prepare for every single session. And I will believe God for miracles. But here's why I hate it. Almost every couple I counsel gets divorced. Now you're like, well, Lord. (laughs) I'm looking for a counselor. You're not going to be the guy. Because you see me on a commercial. My name is Gary Dornbach. Every counselor, every... Every couple I counsel gets divorced. Join me. (laughs) Seriously, though, it's not because I give terrible advice. I hate it because usually I'm the very last stop for couples. 
like the mom is like, you need to go see the pastor. You need to go see that guy. You need to go get a counselor. Like, fine, mom, stop. Will you shut up if I go? And then they go, and they're just there to plug a time clock and like to be able to say, well, we even tried counseling. I'm not saying everyone. Seriously, if you're here and you have marriage, marriage issues, I will do my best to help you. But what is bad is these people sometimes when I spend time, they've already been threatening divorce for weeks, months, and sometimes years. And sometimes I have people in my office where the one is like, I want this to work. I want this to work. But the other spouse is like, you can just see. They're just like, yep. And in a marriage, you can't just have one person that wants it to work. It has to be two. And almost every person who comes to me for marriage counseling has waited too long before coming. When there's an issue, when the siren is going off and the flags are waving and the red lights flashing, they don't just keep walking. At some point, we got to say, and I know that I've probably even spent time with some of you, but, and I know that some of you are like, well, I tried earlier, but he or she wouldn't, wouldn't come. So again, this is not an indictment. But this is a, when we see the red lights flashing, we've got to be aware of it right away. Not just in marriage, but in anything where we say, okay, we, we can't just close our eyes and keep going down this path and hope it works out. Prudent people know that it's what you do and not just what you see that makes you wise. Seeing danger ahead and doing nothing about it is foolishness. If there's going to be change, you must take refuge like the prudent person does. You have to do something. Seeing it, feeling it, agreeing with it, it's not enough. You can't just tonight go, amen, that's a good word. Man, you know, I should think about that. If there is something going on in your life, you have to do something about it tonight. Because you know what? If you allow yourself to have one good altar call and go, man, this is something I need to pray about. You know what? Each, each day that goes by, it becomes easier to justify not handling it. You may have to make a phone call, have an awkward but honest conversation with a friend. You may have to cut up some credit cards. You may have to forgive someone, change your phone number, get rid of your smartphone, break up, move out, find a new circle of friends, cut back on your traveling, set an alarm clock for prayer time, empty the liquor cabinet, take your family on vacation, make an appointment with a counselor, cancel your internet service, get rid of the TV. You may have to, maybe all of the above. Right. 
but something. Yeah, does that sound extreme? Absolutely it sounds extreme. But is it going to be extreme when God is saying, hey, well done, my good and faithful servant, or hey, straight is the gate, narrows the way, but few there be that findeth, but wide is the path that goes to destruction. Uh, there's, there's that path again. Man, I enjoy carrying an iPhone, and I enjoy all the things that it does. But if this thing starts to put things in front of me that could send me to hell, I better go back to a flip phone with a green screen. You know, people who would give anything to be able to rewind their lives and do any number of those things I just listed to avoid their present circumstance. And that's why when we say, God, I just wish God would intervene. But oftentimes it's not a heart of repentance. It's a, I just wish he would remove the consequences from what I've chosen, that the path I've gone on I wish he could somehow take away those consequences because it hurts really bad. Don't wait for that to come before you stop something and say, okay, this has to stop tonight. I don't know what that is. If you're watching online, I don't know what that is for you. There could be some random person tuning in right now, and you don't know. They're like, man, I've just stumbled across this podcast, this live stream. I'm telling you, God is speaking to someone tonight. And you're going down a path, and you're like, man, you know, and you know, it's on, uh, kind of looks dangerous, but I'm going to go check it out. We know how that ends. Wow, this tree's beautiful. I wonder what the fruit tastes like. What in the world? I don't care who you are. For, for, for one person, I read that list, and you're like, alcoholic, liquor, what in the world? No, smoking? Oh, no. But guess what? It's something else for you. It's something else for another person. Whatever that is, we've got to be going, going, this is more than, a, oh, interesting sermon. That's good stuff. I need to think about that. Think about it too long, it'll, get, it'll be right out your mind in 48 hours. But if we are willing to find an altar in just a moment and say, God, Man, you love me enough to preach a whole message at me tonight. Help me to do something about it. You know what God's going to say? What do you want me to help you do? You need to do it. God's not going to go in the liquor cabinet and dump out the liquor. He's going to speak the message to convict your heart and see which path you choose. Your family and friends might not fully understand these changes. You might get ridiculed. It might be tough. But to the wise and the prudent, later is now. There's, there's an immediacy right now. There's, a, there's like a stirring in the Holy Ghost right now where God is calling someone to change. There will always be someone who doesn't understand. In some cases, there will be some who won't listen because they don't even want to understand. Can I tell you why? Because to admit your decision makes sense is to admit that they may be on the wrong path. 
And not many people that have not had God dealing with their heart, they don't want to say, wow, I really said, look, that is a great idea. You know, I probably need to think about, no, because then it's saying, I need to think about my path and the changes I might need to make. So they're probably not willing to do that. So they will just ridicule you for your choice. And as I close, when I look at my kids or even my own choices, I don't always know the immediate impact of my decisions. I would love to say that daily I pray and I go, God, what cereal did you want me to eat this morning? And God just goes, Wheaties. And I go, thank you, Jesus. I would love to say we're building a building. And yes, I woke up in the middle of the night and God said, it's 17,543 square foot. I want the layout like this. I want this. Oh, thank you, Jesus. I'm going to go in that building, and there's going to be things I'm like, I love this. This is amazing. And there's going to be someone be like, oh, I wish I would have done that different. I hate that. I wish that I knew every day. I wish that God literally spoke to me about every single decision of my entire life. I don't always know the immediate. I'm not, I'm not always clear where, where it will lead. There are times when I pray and I just hope I'm making the right decision and, well, it doesn't contradict God's word. I feel good about it. I've counseled with people, elders in my life, and, and this is what I feel to do. And I just prayed and I fast and I sought God. Sometimes God speaks amazingly like he did in our second campaign. I love when he does that. Oh, I love when he does that. That doesn't happen all the time. I'm not perfect. And the destination is not always clear. But when we're given early warning signs, that is our cue to act. To do something. To take refuge. There may be awkward moments, but if something is in the word of God or spoken to me, if there's something that God in my heart lays, something in my heart that I'm like, oh, I don't know what it is. I just can't get peace. I've told you this. I seek every time I seek for peace, release, and direction. If I don't have peace, release, and direction, I don't proceed. And in those awkward moments where you make changes, people won't understand. Even those closest to you might ridicule you. But in the end, there will be relief. Talk to anyone that says, I'll never forget the night I was driving home and I looked out my cigarettes and I threw them out the window. I'll never forget when I disconnected the internet plant. I'll never forget how hard it was to move out. But when I did, I just felt, oh, I just felt such, I was crying and it was hard, but I felt God say, I'm with you. Life is short. The seasons of life pass quickly and each season is connected to the next one that follows. And today's decisions create tomorrow's experiences. 
God is calling someone online or in person to make decisions. Not to say, man, I gotta feel convicted. I gotta think about that. Because I promise you, if you do nothing about what God is convicting you of right now, what he's speaking to you about, it will be out of your mind in 48 hours. You won't even... But God is saying today's decisions create tomorrow's experiences. Where are you tonight? Will you be wise? Will you be foolish? That, that is determined by how you respond right now. And I invite you right now to begin to find a place to pray at this altar to begin to talk to Jesus about where you are, the path that you're on. What do you see ahead? If you continue on this exact path, where does it lead? Where does it take you? I want to think about my destination, not just my decision. Jesus, speak to us tonight and help us to respond to you when you do.